Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the personal group results for 2021. We have a presentation deck to go through with you, and then there will be the opportunity for questions at the end, um, and we're happy to answer those. So, Let's go into the presentation. I'm going to just introduce what we're talking about. I'll hand over to Sarah to do the financial stuff as normal, and then she will hand back to me and I'll give you an operational review of the year and some insight into where we're going over the next few years. Okay, so just for those of you who are perhaps less familiar with our business, we provide employee benefit services for 1.2 million employees in the UK. We have a pay and reward consultancy and we provide a platform for providing employee benefit services and we own some of those benefits ourselves. Specifically, the benefits that we own are employee paid insurances, which is a hospital cash plan and a death benefit. Um, We sell those to individuals in their workplace. We sit down with people face to face and that's what we've been doing for over 37 years. And we also own another benefit called Let's Connect, which is a salary sacrifice technology benefit, which means that employees in businesses can choose to buy technology, so TVs or iPads, uh, gaming equipment, through their salary. They save national insurance contributions, and they're able to pay for that equipment over two years on an interest-free basis. So it's a very attractive benefit, particularly in these days of rising inflation, where people's salaries aren't going as far as they might. So those are the main parts of the business. Let me just give you a quick overview of the year. So obviously our results have been affected by the impact of us not being able to go out and sell face-to-face insurance, really for probably 17, 18 months over the period of COVID. So we restarted face-to-face in the second half of 2021 in July, and obviously getting the machine going again after such a big break took us some time. And you may also remember that last summer was called the pandemic, where Employees couldn't come to work if they'd been in contact with somebody with COVID and they had to stay at home. And therefore, not only were we getting our employees back to work, but also so were our our clients. And therefore, I would say that um, certainly for the first few weeks of us going back live, it it, it was a bit difficult at times. However, it definitely feels like that is behind us now. Um, We're building the face-to-face team back up to full strength and we're being welcomed by our clients they're very keen to get for us to go back in to see people face to face to talk about the benefit platform that the employer provides for them and also to sell our insurances, which, of course, have been so valuable through the period of the pandemic. So setting that aside, because it does feel like COVID is, is behind us now. Perhaps I should cross my fingers as I say that, but uh, it does feel like we're moving on past that. Um, in other ways, the, the year was actually a very strong year for the business. So we signed 86 new clients across the group. And you can see some of the names there. And certainly that was a very big increase on 2020. We signed 48 new clients in 2020, and that in itself was a record. So that tells me more than anything else that our business is really in the right place. Um, There's a lot of demand for the services, and we're clearly providing services and products that employers want to buy. We've talked a lot about expanding our business into different sectors since I've been chief exec over the last three years. So when I came in, we were primarily serving insurance clients, so typically large enterprise clients. 
but since I joined the business, we've been looking to expand our reach into the public sector, into more sophisticated organisations and also into smaller businesses. So the public sector, you can see there, we've won 16 new clients in 2021. And also we're now on three public sector frameworks, which means that public sector organisations can call off our services because all the procurement part has already taken place. So all of the due diligence and checking has happened before you place one onto the contracts. And that makes it much easier for public sector businesses or organisations to do business with us. In terms of the Happy Flex, we talked about that last time. We've developed a more sophisticated product offering flexible benefits where employees have control over what they would like to pay for and add to their package over the year. That might be a season ticket loan. It might be nursery vouchers, all sorts of things that employees can add. And we were successfully launched with the University of York last year and we have other clients in that space. I think probably the big story of the year, and we'll obviously come on to talk about this in a lot more detail, has been the relationship with Sage and the SME um, business that we're building with companies of between 10 and 250 employees. We've really gone from a standing start in the winter of 2020 to a business now with over 1,600 clients, so 1,600 small businesses working with us with over 20,000 employees. So really a very substantial growth story there. I'm going to hand back to Sarah now to go through the numbers, and then I will see you shortly to talk a bit more about, so in a bit more detail about some of those areas. Over to you, Sarah. Thanks, Deborah. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so for those of you that have been to one of our results presentations before, um, you'll see as we go through that we've slightly changed the way that we're reporting some of the numbers and some of the segments. Um, and we're really trying to just sort of give a little bit more transparency um, as to the different revenue streams within the business and the kind of contribution that they play in the overall result. So if we start with the overall financial highlights, you can see there the three quite different revenue streams that contribute to the overall revenue. So revenue was up year on year, just under 75 million against 71.5 million in 2020. You can see there the insurance income, so the premium income from that part of the business. Deborah's already alluded to, you know, we were expecting it to uh, go backwards slightly in 2021, that lag impact of us not being able to go out and sell new business for a period of time. But in the non-insurance areas of the business, you can see that they've stepped forward. So employee benefits and services covers pay and reward, also the benefits platform and also Let's Connect. So we saw some growth there. And then the final revenue stream, which we're using the term voucher resale, is essentially the spend that goes through the benefits platform. So that's where people are buying discounted shopping vouchers for supermarkets or cinema tickets. And that revenue in the main is pass through revenue for us. So we keep the discounts on the platform competitive. Um, so we, we, can, we can highlight the value of the, of the benefit platform itself. Um, and whilst that, that income doesn't impact the bottom line directly, it does obviously reinforce the utilisation of the platform and the value to both the end user employees and the clients that, that take our benefits platform out. So as Deborah's already mentioned, EBITDA for the year, 6.1 million against the 10.1 million in 2020, slightly ahead of our expectations, but really impacted by that inability to be able to go out and do face-to-face -face sales for a period of time, offset by a rebound in contributions from both Pay and Reward and Let's Connect. And the other thing that you'll see in a couple of places as we go through and look in more detail at each of the segments is that we've also put investment into some of our general infrastructure, people infrastructure around the business, both in sales and marketing, and some of the areas where we're expecting to see future growth. So notwithstanding our reduced profits for the year, we're obviously in a very strong financial position. Uh, we're, we're cash generative. Um, we have cash and deposits of just under 23 million in the bank and no debt. 
um, and sort of mindful of external factors at the moment. We are predominantly, or we are a UK-based business, um, and outside of LexConnect, predominantly a people-based business as well. We've also announced a final dividend of 5.3 pence with these results, taking us to a total of 10.6. Obviously, a reduced dividend on last year in line with our reduced profits, but we are paying out a higher payout ratio than we've done historically. And that's really because we're partly mindful that a lot of people hold us as an income stock, um, but also sort of shows the confidence of our rebounding profits that we're expecting over the next couple of years. So if I just move on to the next slide, this just gives us a little bit of an explanation about the kind of income streams that we see in each of our sort of four core segments that we report on. So the first one is pay and reward, and that's essentially the Inecto subsidiary, so the pay and reward consultancy that we purchased in 2019. Around two thirds of the income from there is consultancy income at the moment, uh, and the remaining third is, is sort of digital platform subscriptions, uh, where they have some um, job evaluation and, and pay and reward modules where people pay an annual fee. Benefits platform covers whichever channel we take the product to market via, so directly via Happy for our enterprise clients, but also through our channel partner Sage for our SME solution. The bulk of the income there is also digital platform subscriptions, but we also get an element of commissions from some of the third party benefits that sit on the platform. Moving on to our own benefits, so insurance gets a, a segment in its own right, because of the scale of it and the sort of major contribution that it plays towards our results. And then finally, other own benefits, as Deborah said, is Let's Connect. And the income through there is essentially retail sales, uh, as Let's Connect basically sells the equipment to the employers for them to then in turn uh, arrange a salary sacrifice agreement with their own employees. And we also get an element of commission from the introduction of third-party finance that sits alongside that. So when we look at the EBITDA contributions for each of those segments, I'm just worth pointing out, because this is different to, to previously, that those contributions reflect the direct costs of each of the operations only. So some of the group overheads, so sales and marketing, finance, your head office costs are no longer allocated to a segment, but are separately disclosed. So just looking at the overall results. So you can see on the right hand side there in terms of the level of contribution that each of the segments plays in our overall results. You can see the insurance contribution, obviously, as I anticipated, went, went slightly backwards year on year because of us being unable to write the new insurance sales. But the pay and reward and other own benefits areas both stepping forwards. Probably just worth highlighting on the left hand side there in terms of the annualised recurring revenue and annualised premium income that we have for each of the streams of the business. So across pay and reward and benefits platform, we now have 3.6 million of annualised recurring revenue coming through the digital subscriptions. And also on the insurance side, although the size of our book is obviously reduced as a direct impact of COVID, we still have just under 25 million of annualised premium income. And that's basically policies that are on a sort of rolling contracts uh, that renew on a weekly or monthly basis. So just moving on to the sort of margins for each of the areas of the business. As I say, one of the main objectives of, sort of changing our way that we report the numbers is to just give a bit more visibility for each of the areas. So you can see there both insurance and, and benefits platform obviously have a you know, relatively high EBITDA margin associated with them, whereas the other own benefits, because it's essentially a retail business, um, is, is that much lower. So if I just move on to each of the areas, just to give a little bit more colour to the, to the results. Pay and rewards. So Inecta had a really good year in 2021, a very strong rebound from their COVID impacted year in 2020. You can see their consultancy income is up 50% year on year and the digital subscriptions up over 25%. As at the end of the year, yeah, we had just over 400,000 subscriptions on annual recurring contracts. 
And for this area of the business, Deborah will come on to talk about it, but we're expecting to see continued growth as we go into 2022 and beyond, um, particularly as they've added a third digital product to their portfolio at the end of 2021. In terms of the benefits platform, Deborah's already alluded to, you know, the sort of headline story here for, for the year really is the substantial increase in contribution from the SME side. And so Sage and employee benefits has pretty much gone from a standing start at the end of 2020 to having annualised recurring revenue of 1.6 million at the end of 2021. In terms of happy platform subscriptions, they're relatively flat year on year, but we did have a relationship with a client slightly outside of our sort of regular enterprise clients, which we lost during the year. But that's been more than mitigated by the 20 new client wins that we've had across the happy side, including University of York, which was our first happy flex client. And I think we probably mentioned last time that because happy flex is a more sophisticated product, we can charge a higher price per employee per annum. Um, and it will generate higher margins for the business as, as we move forwards. So combined annualised recurring revenue of 3.2 million across both SME and enterprise clients. And just in terms of EBITDA contribution, as I mentioned at the beginning, flat year on year despite increased revenue. And that's really because we've invested in the infrastructure to support that area of the business. We see it as one of the key areas for future growth. Just moving on to insurance. So in terms of new business, spoken about the COVID impact. So you can see that new annualised premium income of 3.7 million in 2021 in comparison to 2.4 in 2020, but obviously short of our sort of pre-pandemic levels are more like 9 million. Although, as Deborah said, that, that only really reflects us being back out in the field from sort of mid-July onwards um, and then the sort of a fairly sort of diluted effect. So we have seen some sort of really strong performances as we've gone back out into the field. Um, and so we, we're obviously going to expect the, the insurance book to start to, to rebuild um, as we're back out selling face to face. Just in terms of retention of existing policyholders, that's remained really strong again over the 80% mark, as we saw in the first year of COVID, obviously reinforcing the value of our, our products to policyholders. And the combination, I guess, of reduced new sales, but strong retention means our insurance book still has the 25 million of annualised premium income at the end of December. And we've seen it start to slowly rebuild as we've gone into the second half of the year. And we expect that to continue as we go into 2022 and beyond. Quick piece on claims ratios. So very stable in comparison to both last year and our long-term averages. We've seen death benefit loss ratio go up slightly during COVID in both of those years and hospital plans step back slightly. We're probably expecting as we move into 2022, a sort of reversal of that trend slightly and a tendency to move back to the pre-pandemic levels. And then just in terms of EBITDA contribution, we've obviously had a reduced underwriting profit, but that's also been compounded by us increased uh, acquisition costs as we've had the field sales team back out on the road. Because of the nature of our policies, so weekly and monthly contracts, we have to expense all of those acquisition costs up front. So in terms of 2022, we're expecting to see the insurance book continue to build back up to pre-pandemic levels. And then really there's just a sort of signpost there that because we'll have a full year of acquisition costs in 2022, our EBITDA contribution is expected to decline slightly in the short term before it starts to move back up towards uh, those pre-pandemic levels. Finally, on Let's Connect. So this is a salary sacrifice business. Revenue was up year on year, partly helped by some schemes that deferred from 2020, but also continued strong sales from Royal Mail Group, which is one of Let's Connect's key clients. There's some challenge again to the margin in terms of supply chain disruption and in particular the sort of lack of availability of some of the bigger ticket items. So TVs, for instance, are sort of higher price and higher margin for us. But you can see there it still proves to be a really popular benefit for employees 
We extended the product range to sort of cover gym equipment and outdoor equipment. And you can see their order numbers up from both 2020 and 2019, although the average order value was obviously down because of the lack of availability of those bigger ticket items. So as a reminder, you know, Let's Connect posted a profit of 1.5 million, 1.6 million in, in 2019. Um, so we're expecting top line growth to continue. Deb has already alluded to the fact of, you know, people wanting their money uh, to go a bit further. Um, so we see this as an area that can start to build back, certainly to the pre-pandemic levels and beyond as well. So that's it on the financials. I will hand back to Deborah to go through our operational review. Lovely. Thank you very much, Sarah. So in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the plan for the future, um, when I came into the business, we were, as I already mentioned, primarily um, a business that sold insurance and the benefits platform was, not, was, was quite heavily discounted when we were selling insurance to clients. And we were very focused in one main area, which was um, enterprise clients, particularly those who had a lot of employees who were relatively low paid and perhaps didn't have benefits that some of them might take for granted, like death in service or, or sick pay. Since I arrived, it's been very clear that we need to widen the audience that we, that we speak to. So we've talked about going into different parts of the economy to make sure that we have a, a more, more opportunity, more markets to sell to. So first of all, the need for our services has never been greater. There are three key market drivers in our favour. The first one I'd say is that it's a very tight employment market, which means that companies of all sizes, right down to small and medium enterprises, are finding it hard to attract and retain the talent that they need. Secondly, as I've already alluded to, inflation has really impacted on people's pay rises. So although most companies did give a pay rise this time round, the challenge has been that inflation is outstripping that. And therefore, specifically, having discounts through your employee, employee benefits platform, so being able to say 5% at Tesco or perhaps 10% of currency, it makes a lot of difference. It helps employees feel like their money goes a bit further. And the same applies with Let's Connect. You know, the sorts of um, employees that we work with, whether they're bus drivers, lorry drivers, working in a, in a care home, they haven't got money to be able to spend on, um, as Sarah said, the bigger ticket items. And therefore, being able to buy it through their employer at no interest charge is a really significant advantage for them. Within the market that we play, a happy app as an app is still very, very competitive. Actually, nobody else has quite developed the app in the way that we have. So we still see that and where our customers tell us that that's very significant for them. And having the whole picture where employers can come to us and talk about, you know, we need to do some pay benchmarking. We're not sure about whether we're paying enough all the way through to providing a range of different benefits. Um, there's nobody else in the UK mid-market that's providing that really sort of end-to-end -end process and support for HR directors and businesses. And then we'll talk more about the new insurance channels and how we're supplementing face-to-face. -face. So let's go into just what we do. Just a quick reminder for those of you who are not so familiar. We provide an employee benefit solution. And essentially, for our larger clients, they're able to completely customise whatever they want to go into their platform. It's almost like, imagine if you go into a supermarket and you can choose the things that you might want. So you might want staff discounts, you might want Let's Connect, you might want to, for example, offer a cycle to work scheme, or you might offer gym discounts. And we can basically produce a branded, customised web and uh, app-based product, which is completely, you know, in your branding and in your colours, brand colours, and, uh, and to all intents and purposes, an employee would completely think it's your brand. So it, it's a really well-defined product and it's supported all the way through by, by our consultancy teams to make sure that the end product that the client gets is exactly what they're, they're hoping for. 
I just thought it would be useful for us to just look at the clients that we work with. I think sometimes we don't talk enough about this. You know, we have some fantastic clients. All our clients are amazing. But in particular, perhaps naming some names of some of those larger businesses that you will have heard of. And I think when you look at that range, you can see what a, what a variety of businesses that we have. Some of those clients only work with one of our um, lines of business. Some, I'll pick out Kalina, which is a large business, work actually with all four. So Inecto help them with pay and reward. They have the platform, they take insurance, and they work with Let's Connect. But we have 34% of clients um, work with more than one line of business. That's dropped slightly, but that's partly because we've engaged with 86 new clients this year, and some of those have come directly into one particular part of the business, be it Let's Connect or Inecto. But over time, we will win them over into working with us in, in more lines of business. So there's lots of opportunity there. So we've had some changes in the business over the last year. So our long-term chairman retired and Martin Bennett joined the business. Martin's last executive role was as chief executive of HomeServe, the insurance business, home services insurance business. And Andy Lothian, again, a long-term executive member of the board, has stepped onto being a non-executive member of the board and stepped back from his executive role, being replaced by Lynn McGrath. And what we've decided to do really as a part of that, slightly I've shrunk my senior leadership team down as well. When I arrived, I had nine members of my senior leadership team. We've now only got five plus me. So, you know, quite a tight team. We've really focused very clearly on what is it that we're trying to achieve. And Sarah and her team did a lot of work over the summer to really look at what are the big levers that we can pull to drive our business forward and to unlock EBITDA growth. Now, part of that is about creating a great place to work improving our customer and client ratings so that we are a company that's great to do business with, improving from 1.2 million employees today to over 1.5 million employees. That makes a real difference to the UK workforce and driving income and premium. And that in turn will help us unlock EBITDA growth over the next few years. Now, specifically, we have three pillars to our strategy. And those three pillars are driving insurance, transforming reward and benefits and accelerating our SME offer. So with driving insurance, there's quite specific things that we're going to do. I think partly with the refresh of Liam coming into the business, but also, you know, focus from the board, a real aspiration to grow the insurance business. One of the things that we've been focused on is driving attention. I'll talk a little bit more about the numbers on that. That has gone extremely well, you know, really positive results. Our penetration into our clients has actually dropped slightly. Uh, which is, again, it's because we've got more clients. So we've gone from having 450,000 addressable employees to now 620,000. That's quite a big jump. So obviously, there's a lot of new clients there, new uh, employees that we can talk to about our products and services, and that number will go back up. We're also improving our availability to clients. So instead of just seeing them once a year face-to-face, -face, which obviously is a really successful way to sit down with people and talk about the products, we're also introducing always-on methods, whether that's direct mail, having the products available digitally in the Happy platform, as well as carrying on doing our virtual visits that we started in COVID. So we're really trying to make sure that we're meeting our potential policyholders wherever they are. And just very briefly, we're looking at trialling some new products. So we do have some clients who provide debt in service. They provide sick pay for their employees and therefore our core insurance products are probably less relevant. So we're trialing some new products, this one in particular, Cancer Protect, through a third party who are taking all of the underwriting and the claims. And we're really just trialing that with our employer clients 
and employees just to see how successful that might be with a view to developing some new products in the future. Second pillar would be around transforming reward and benefits. I already talked quite a lot about how the benefits work. We're also in this space looking at acquisition opportunities to really enhance our offer. At the moment, we do a range of different things through third parties. That might be things like gym discounts, cycle to work, electric cars. So we're looking at are there opportunities there where we could bring one of those providers um, in-house and then obviously offer them across the board to all of our clients. And then finally, accelerating the SME offer. So I'll talk a bit more about this in a second, but you know the relationship with Sage has now stabilised. We've really worked out the recipe for how that works and we're much more successful at taking their clients all the way from the first conversation they had with a Sage representative right the way through to a three-month free trial and then paying for the service. We've, we seem to have got that nailed now. Where we might be able to continue to drive that is by adding potentially a new partner or indeed having a direct-to-market SME, small and medium enterprise business. So I'll quickly talk about pay and reward. Sarah's already given you the numbers. We know that that business has grown back from where we were in 2020, which was obviously a tough year. In particular, their Inecto digital products have done extremely well over the last year. And we're seeing a broad trend, really, for HR processes. So whether it's pay review, whether it's pay benchmarking, job evaluation, to become much more um, driven on, on platforms rather than all being done on spreadsheets or manually. Um, and we're part of that growth, really. We spent time last year developing a new product, Advance, which launched right at the start of, of 2022. And we see that very much as part of the growth story for Inecto. Our goal is for the Inecto digital revenue and consultancy to double by 2024, which gives us a really stable position for that business. They introduced clients to the rest of the group and organisations, as I've noted there, have come out of the pandemic really keen to review existing practice and the challenges around the tight labour market, I mean, that employers are having to look at pay benchmarking. So there's a lot going on for them. They're extremely busy. Um, the, the real barrier to their growth that I can see is, is mostly around getting the right people um, working with them. And we're looking to hire some people in that space. Let's talk now about the benefits platform. So our benefits platform, Happy, Happy Flex, and the SME product that we have through Sage, Sage Employee Benefits. You will have seen in the press that we signed a five-year contract with Sage as a route to market for SME clients that was done in February to extend the relationship that we've already had with Sage. In the enterprise space, we have 160 clients using the Happy platform. And last year, we developed our own IP for the Happy Flex platform with a view to not only just bringing in new clients, but also moving some of our existing clients over to a more sophisticated, flexible benefits model. And as you can see there, we, we added Happy clients. Now, I think if I look to the future here, the opportunity is quite significant. You know, the opportunity for EBITDA growth in this space is a big opportunity. The challenge with the SME space, so small and medium enterprises with 250 or fewer employees, is simply accessing that market at scale. It's very fragmented and it can be quite hard to gain attention of people. But of course, through the partnership that we've got with Sage, it really is very exciting that we can access those employees. We've got a regular flow of leads coming through now from Sage. We also have the opportunity to upsell our Happy product into Happy Flex. You can see there that there's quite a big difference in the amount that employers pay for the premium product. And obviously that gives us increased EBITDA growth as well. So we just thought it might be interesting. A few times people have said to us, what is the size of the opportunity in SME? So we thought it'd be quite interesting just to give you a bit of a, a scenario. So 
Sage pay through their payroll services, 7 million employees in our target market. So our target market is defined as 10 to 250 employees in, in a business. Sage covers 7 million of them. If you look for the Office of National Statistics, you'll see the market is a bit bigger. It's more like 10 million, but a lot of those extra 3 million work in single man or woman bands and also micro businesses with up to sort of five or six employees. And therefore our target is really 10 and up um, rather than the micro businesses. You can see there that we've projected forward, I mean, it's an arithmetical projection, but you can see that even with relatively modest penetration into that sector, there is some very big opportunity on the bottom line. I know those, those bands are quite broad, but it gives you some flavour, I think, of the amount of EBITDA that we can grow into in the medium term. So that's one of the key levers that we're pulling for future growth. And, and the other really is to continue to develop the insurance business. So Sarah's gone through most of these numbers, I think. I just draw your attention to the very last bullet. So we set ourselves a goal last at the start of last year to drive first 12-month retention to 60%. So really, this is the point from when an employee says, yes, shakes the hand of one of our sales team, right through to are they paying 12 months later. And that used to be 50%. It's moved to 60% in one year. Now, I don't think that's entirely due to the things we're doing. I think it's partly the, the, the awareness of COVID, how, how worried people are. So I do expect that to potentially fall back slightly before it increases again as a result of our retention activity. Now, I'd be thrilled if it carries on growing, but I'm just being realistic about both of those numbers. You know, we've seen a very big change in 12 months, which obviously is part of the external factors going on. But we're really focusing on how we can improve retention. We've built a loyalty team and uh, making sure that our policyholder journey is really responsive at all the points that policyholders need us. As I've mentioned, we're improving penetration levels, and that's through obviously our face-to-face -face visits, which are really successful, but also other channels to market so that we're more available when people need us as an always-on product. We have made some slight changes to the product. When we go and see people in their workplaces, um, when we sit down with them, they're on cover from the time that we speak to them. In, in our uh, digital product and direct mail and so on, that will likely be uh, and have some pre-existing condition exclusions in it, um, obviously to stop us being um, you know, sort of selected against in terms of an employee thinking, well, I'm going to hospital next week, I'll buy the product, I'll keep it for a month and then, and then I won't renew it. So obviously we need to be careful about that. But certainly I think Martin's experience who's our new chairman, his experience of building a business with HomeServe with no access to face-to-face, -to -face, he's saying, you know, we really do need to look at these other channels. So we're taking that, that advice and, and going forward with that. And we also have a goal to widen further the client employee base. We've gone from 450,000 employees in 2020 to over 600 today, it's about 620, and a view that we'll continue to widen that group. So going on to the work Sarah's prepared, again, the scenarios give you some idea of where we might go. So First column is where we are at the end of 2021. The lighter column is where we were pre-pandemic. But again, you can see with a relatively modest growth in the number of addressable employees, and even just getting back to the levels of penetration that we have historically seen with employees, that's 15%, you can see that adds a very substantial EBITDA contribution. I think the middle scenario is quite realistic. So 17% penetration into a slightly larger group you can see that really does start to move EBITDA growth for, for the business. And I think there's a really exciting prospect there for us in terms of taking that on. Clearly, the products, as we're selling them today, are very meaningful for people. They really resonate with our client group. And uh, we're getting very, very good take up 
both sales and, and conversion rates are up on where we were pre-COVID. So I'll just um, finish off with the other own benefits. I think Sarah probably covered most of this, to be fair, in her presentation. You know, we are seeing lots of new clients, 20 new clients. Again, it tells us that we're in the right place. We've widened our product launches to include white goods and gym equipment, partly because we were so short of tech last year. But, you know, it's gone well. People want to buy those things. And so we might consider, as I mentioned earlier, moving to other salary sacrifices area to widen the owned um, benefits offer in the future. Right. So in terms of the investment proposition, in summary, really, we are a much more diverse business than probably we were three years ago. We have relationships with clients in lots of different sectors and we're building a very robust business from that perspective. That we have a digital model and we own all the IP on our own platform. The market, as I've mentioned, is rising. We will rise with that market because clearly employers are having to do everything they can to attract and retain employees. And as a business ourselves, you know, we're cash generative, we pay dividend, we're debt free. Sarah's already mentioned the £23 million that we have um, in the bank, some of which we hold against the insurance business, but half of that is, is available to us. It's sort of firepower for our growth, if you like. Experience management team that's been refreshed this year. And I think you've seen from the presentation a really um, ambitious management team with very clear plans to grow the business. So I always like to end these presentations with three key takeaways. So if you don't remember anything else, remember these three things. Insurance is building back. You know, we've got a brilliant opportunity and we're seeing the product being very well received as we've gone back out face to face. The SME to opportunity is now working. And over the last year, we've really developed know-how and experience, which we can take to other partners and for our own use, as well as obviously the really important relationship that we have with Sage. And then finally, in driving client growth, what we're looking to do is support innovation. You may have seen our announcement about Dame Kelly Holmes. Dame Kelly is joining us as our Chief Wellbeing Ambassador for this year. And she brings with her a, a product called Transform, which is all about um, people's mental and physical well-being. It includes all sorts of things to, to help people manage their, their, their mental and emotional well-being, but also encourages people to think about their physical health. It's got nutrition, it's got fitness classes and motivational speeches by some of um, Dan Kelly's other Olympic colleagues. Uh, Tom Daly's on there and a few others. So we're looking to launch that later in the year in April. And, uh, and I think that adds some real innovation and freshness to the whole product. Um, just a quick update on ESG. I know that sometimes people are very interested in this. We set ourselves some goals last year on a three-year basis, and I've just given you a quick update there uh, where we are. So environmental, we're not obviously a massive polluter. We don't create a lot of waste. The main thing that we do have is a fleet of cars. We explored the transition for going to electric cars for our field sales team and actually have decided at this point that the national infrastructure is just simply not there to support it. You know, I'm, I'm not comfortable sending a sales colleague to, uh, to, to Bernard Matthews in the middle of Norfolk um, at five in the morning to pick up the early shift and, uh, and find that actually they can't recharge the car and they're stuck there. So I think this time round on the car leases, we won't renew. It may be different next year. We have changed account management and uh, management cars to electric where we can because they do more motorway driving, so it's easier. And then social, I mean, fundamentally, we are here for social purpose. You know, what we do is we improve the working lives of the UK workforce, you know, 1.2 million of them with a view to grow that. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail there, you can read it for yourself. On governance, we set ourselves targets around gender representation and ethnicity, not just 
getting the numbers, not just saying we're 50-50, but also making sure that we're represented at all levels in the organisation. So we represent people from ethnic minorities at all levels. We have a minority ethnic member of our board, Andy, it's black. And then obviously, you know, you've seen Sarah and I, we are a vanishingly small representative on, on aim of, of two female um, execs as chief exec and the CFO. Um, and we've linked our exec compensation to achieving our goals on ESG. Right, I think that's it from Sarah and I. A um, bit of a whistle-stop tour through the business. Um, we have got some questions, I think. So um, Sarah's going to come back on and uh, we can we can answer your questions now. So um, over to you for questions, Lily. The first question is, how can you help employers improve their reward programmes in a period of inflation? So I think one of the challenges that employers are facing is that um, employees, as, as, you, as you're completely aware, are, are seeing that there are more opportunities. Often, I'm sure all, all of you who are, who are working will find that when somebody leaves, the, the pay review, um, often, sorry, when somebody leaves, often you're paying significantly more um, for the new person that you hire than, than the person who left. So we're seeing wage inflation, not just in pay rises, but also as the, as the um, workforce changes. The way that uh, Inecto can help is to help get a handle on that. So first of all, help employers understand whether they are paying the right amount in their markets through a pay benchmarking process, but also help them consider their probably softer side of employment, whether that's better employee engagement, whether it's you know just offering a benefits platform where employees can get access to discounts and things, but making employees feel valued and making sure that they feel that the business is working for them as well as them working for the business. So it's a really important part, I think, of working. We all come to work for money, clearly, but, um, but it's more than that. It's making employees feel that what they do is important and they're valued um, in, in the company that they work for. And our employee engagement and reward um, consultants, that, that's some of the key work that they do. Hopefully that answers your question. Tremendous. And we've got two questions that are almost the same. Is there any scope to distribute other traditional non-life insurance products from third-party providers, such as motor or house insurance, or somebody else goes on to ask about pet or renter's insurance? Yeah, I mean, they're both really, really good questions and our institutional investors have asked the same. I certainly think, I think we're probably not going to go into the very highly um, competitive sort of almost compulsory insurances, house and, 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 and car, because I think probably those people are better served with, with some of the main aggregators. But certainly where um, there are other special, more special insurers like renters, like pet insurance, we've already been thinking, should we be putting those sorts of things on the platform? So I would say in response to that, um, watch this space. I don't think we'll take on that underwriting immediately. We'll probably do what we've done with the Cancer Protect product and um, think about putting it in as a through a third party and then potentially if, if it works learning how to do that ourselves and underwriting it but you know sometime in the future when we've really tested the product but yeah great ideas and things that we are we are actually considering at the moment thank you very much and what dividend payments do you envisage paying for 2022 or 2023 if you can comment yeah, I'll take that one. So I think when we we changed our dividend policy, for those of you that were shareholders at the time, um, back in 2020, so we used to pay four quarterly dividends and we moved to a profile of paying, you know, after the interim and, and after the full year results. And as part of that announcement, we, you know, we, we basically said we were going to keep our payout ratios in line with the historic averages. So it was obviously being a strong uh, dividend paying stock um, and those averages were around the sort of 80 to 85% mark. 
obviously in 2021, uh, we've exceeded that payout ratio. Um, and the, the numbers we've got out in the market, obviously, you know, point towards growth in future years. So I, I think, you know, we're expecting the dividend to, to increase in line with our increased profits over the next couple of years. Thank you. And leading on from that, by which year does the board expect to achieve the targeted 22 million EBITDA? I'm quite sure where the 22 million has come from. I think what we're, we're talking about is really um, that sort of medium term growth, which is between three and five years. But we've set ourselves some ambitions. I think it's important for a business to be ambitious about the future. Um, we've given you some scenarios as to what, what the opportunities might look like. And I, I'm sort of wondering whether some of the questions have come from, from there. Um, those are obviously scenarios painted on a number of assumptions. Um, but we are very positive about growth in the business. And we see there is really substantial opportunity for us to grow both our insurance business and also the annual recurring business through our platforms, you know, in line with some of those areas that I've suggested. So um, I, I would sort of give a medium term guidance on that. Great. Thank you very much. And with the new insurance products being rolled out on the platform, are there any regulatory hurdles to overcome? Um, I'll let Sarah answer that because she looks after risk and we've done quite a lot of work in this area. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of rolling our own products out onto the, the digital, you know, through Happy and selling them digitally, um, it's not a lot different to what we do face to face. Obviously, we have all the, the regulatory piece around financial promotions that we've spent quite a lot of time making sure we've got that um, you know, tightly controlled where we've put the products on the platform. In terms of introducing new products, in the first instance, because we're going to be using um, you know, third parties to sort of test the market with them, uh, we're really just sort of signed up as an introducer um, in respect of those products. They're all going to be on digitally. So I guess that you know, the regulatory impact to us is much less those products. Great, thank you. And can you talk us through who are your major shareholders? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, there's actually a slide in the presentation deck that will go onto the website after this in the appendix. So you can see there, um, those of you that don't know, Christopher Johnston was, was the founder uh, of the business 37 years ago. Um, so he obviously still retains a reasonably significant um, stake in the business. Um, but there you can see our sort of top five um, institutional investors. Um, and obviously, you know, some, some very strong names there. Um, we've also got others sort of slightly below that 5% threshold as well, but a very, very strong and very loyal customer base as well. Um, certainly some of them, have, I know, have been with the investing business since it listed on AIM. Great. Thank you very much. Of the things you've talked about, what will make the most difference? So what are you most excited about? Um, we did we did a lot of work on this over the summer. So Sarah and her team spent a lot of time thinking about and looking at what are the biggest levers in our business. So the biggest levers come down to insurance and driving the SME opportunity. And so that's really why those have become our twin main focuses for the business. And I think I've spent a fair amount of time explaining how we see those might work. Um, and therefore, from that perspective, that's where we're going. That's where the growth opportunity is. And I think that's what's going to take us, you know, on an upward journey over the medium term. Great. Thank you very much. And at this stage, this is the final question. Webinars such as these have been great for private investors over the last couple of years. With the world opening back up, do you plan to continue to offer them or will you move back to in-person presentations? We didn't do um, a retail presentation before COVID, actually. Um, so when I arrived, it, we, ha we had never uh, directly addressed our, our retail investors. 
Um, and so we've started doing this. This is the third one that we've done. And, and I think they're great. You know, we used to get questions in from our retail investors that were quite detailed, um, you know, clearly very bright, you know, intelligent questions that understood the business. And we didn't really have a forum to answer them. Um, and this this feels to me like a really good way to make ourselves available to our retail investors. Many of you I know are very loyal to us and we appreciate that loyalty. Um, and, it, and it's a good way for us to get to meet you. We can't see you. I know you can see us, but we can't see you. But uh, but thank you very much for attending and for the questions. And yes, we will continue. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.